Romans 3 is where we're out. I'll pray and we'll, we'll get right into it. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in our world. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. Uh, thank you for snow and ice and the opportunity just to stop, to think about your power, how you can, you can in one storm slow us all down. Think about your beauty and how just the sun reflects off the white and the world's just different. Lord, you are God. There's none like you. And so we're here to worship by learning and walking in your ways. Help us, Jesus, we pray. Uh, amen. All right, so you're, you're ending Winter Wonderland. Rain's coming. <laughs> Rain's coming! And uh, so enjoy it, but you're here from one to three. But enjoy the rest of it before it comes. It's, um, it's good to just be back in the same building Last week was kind of cool. Some of you caught, we did our, our teaching in my living room by video. And it's fun to realize I got more comments about the fireplace than the content. So we thought we'd just bring the fireplace in. Just going to bring it in as I'm burning in the inferno. <laughs> it's a little too big there. But anyway, uh, if you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, why don't you go to our podcast? And uh, audio and video, you can... Check, check out last week's teaching by video, the rest by audio. And I promise you, hopefully by Easter, we'll have everything that we do here on video as well as audio. That's where we're, we're working. Anyway, um, where are we? We're in Romans 3. Some of you are new or just visiting. I'm going to catch you up real quick. Romans is the good news for everyone. God has something for everybody. And Paul's about to travel to the city and he gives, here's my message. Here's what we all believe and he lays it out as someone who's been thinking about the good news for more than 25 years. He's wrestled with the scriptures. What are the scriptures? Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the rest isn't in print yet. He's just thinking about everything before then, first half of your Bible, saying, what does this mean in light of Jesus? So here's what we learned so far. The message of the good news, Romans 1, 1 through 17. We know what the message is. It's the power of God to rescue Everyone who believes, the Jew and the Gentile, for in the good news, the righteousness of God has been made known. It's been revealed. So that's what the message is. Now, what does it mean? Act, I'm sorry, Romans 1, 18, all the way through the end of chapter 4, is going to take us into the heart, how this actually fleshes out in our lives. And so we're going through it slowly because some of us, we have faith in Jesus. We just don't know what in the world that means. I believe Okay, well, what difference does it make? So the heart of it is going to lay the foundation. We're going to go eventually to Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and into 8 and talk about the hope. What about our future in light of Jesus? But right now, we've hit a pivot point. What we're going to read in Romans 3, 21 through to 26 has thick language about you and I, our faith in Jesus. But if you missed last week, you realize Paul's writing like a lawyer. He's trying to figure out, how do I describe something? Every week when I'm trying to figure out how to share, I'm always thinking, what story am I going to share or illustration? Because stories speak, right? They, they communicate. So Paul chooses legal language. He's like, okay, how do I describe the heart of the good news? And in it, we saw last week, unrighteous, uh, the words unrighteous and under sin are legal terms. You remember, everyone was invited to court in their day. If there was a case, they didn't do it in a room. 
They did it in front of everyone. The leaders of the town got together and both sides shared and they talked about it. And so Paul says, okay, let's look, use legal language to describe what Jesus has done in terms of you and I and our distance from God. So here's where we are, according to Romans 1, 18 through 320. It's one point. God is always in the right. You and I, not so much. We're sometimes right. Often we're off. So going to law court, God is on one side, one table, and we're on the other side. God's the prosecution, so to speak. He's laying out the way things are, and we're on the defense. And what we're learning about God is, wow, if he's always right, I want to be on the winning side. How many enjoy losing? Sorry, Hawks. I mean, I, was, I, I died too, okay? Don't, don't, don't feel bad. But now that football's over, right, because our team's gone, we, we, if your team's still in it, congratulations, unless it's the Cowboys. Um, I'm a Giants fan at heart, so when they died, anyway, I'm totally digressing. Those of you who don't care about sports, okay, come back. So God's on the right side. I don't want to be living in opposition to God. I don't. It doesn't go well now, and it doesn't go well in our future. So how do I, how do I cross sides? My heart is to be where God is, but there's a problem. God is right, and we are not. Now, Jesus changes everything. And so the heart of the good news is where Jesus fits in bringing me back to God. In light of that, now let's read um, Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. I, I'm guaranteeing you this is not exactly clear language because he's using legal metaphors that we're not used to. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets, which is code word for the Bible, testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So far, so good. Now it gets thick. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, I kind of understand that but it's not so clear. It gets even more thick. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, lost yet. Yeah. He did it in order to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, the ju to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Let's just move on to lunch. Well, this is, this is some of the thickest part of Romans. And what we want to do is not just pass it over and say, I got that. We want to break it down so that you are confident in what God has done for you. The reason to become more confident is the more confident I am in what God has done for me, the more I want to follow him and worship him. So what we're going to do is look at four concepts over the next two weeks. Righteousness, justification, redemption, and atonement. Happy January. Because if you're a student, you haven't been in school for like a year. So we're going to break it down and just do two this week, two next week, and then wrap up this whole area the third week. And I, I hope with every week, you just leave with more joy 
because of what Jesus has done for you. All right, today, justification and righteousness. What do those mean? Here's the challenge. We're reading in English, and in English, there are two different words for the same concept. So when you're translating, whether it's English or Spanish, or any language or another language, what you do is say, what does it say and what does it mean? And then you try to find language that's close to what it says and what it means. So you can rely on everything you're reading in English. But know this, sometimes we can miss what Paul's clearly saying because he's writing in Greek and they're reading in Greek. So they see a connection. We don't. Here's the good news. We have lots of people who read Greek, of which I am not one. I actually can read the language and I can read the words. I can't tell you what two-thirds of them mean. So what do we do? We're going to see that these two concepts, actually three, all have one root word. What do I mean? Righteousness, just, and justification all share the same root in Greek, which is dikai. So there's dikaio, dikauste, and other endings to dikai. Now, you don't even remember any of that. All you need to know is that when you have words that are of the same root, they are connected. They're like cousins or two sides of the same coin. So let me illustrate. Love. I love you. Oh, isn't that nice? I love you. Okay, love there is a verb. I action you. I, I feel something for you. It has to do with me. Now let's flip it. You are loved. What's well, close, but it's not the same thing. You loved. You receive it. Love is the root, right? But they're not exactly the same thing. In one, I'm the one expressing it. In the other one, you're receiving it or rejecting it. How dare you? Reject my love. Now, let's, let's make it a little more confusing. Uh, that is lovely. What I love about the British, if you've ever been to the UK, which I love going to, is their English is actually proper English, and ours is slightly distorted. So you could have breakfast at someone's home, and oh, we would say, like, oh, man, that was really good. And you say, how was your breakfast? It was lovely. <laughs> Just lovely. Okay, it's the same root, but lovely breakfast is not the same thing as me loving you. But the concepts are close. You got it? Same thing with righteousness, just, and justification. They're not exactly the same, but Paul's saying the same thing in relation to the life of God. Now, why is this important? You're like, Jose, move on. Seven times in what we just read, we're getting this word repeated, repeated, repeated. Four times in these verses, righteousness comes in. Two times, justification comes in. One time, just comes in. And they're all, he's like pounding a point home. Legal language, we're unrighteous and we're sinful. And then he's like, but now, righteousness, 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 just, just, he's not punching, but I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> righteousness, justification, just, he wants us to get what God has done, so he gives us a picture. Now, I'm probably confusing some. That's totally okay. It's going to come together. At the end, I'm going to give a half-cheesy story that's going to pull it all together, right? Just work with me for now. Definitions, two, righteousness in the right. Though The word in English is close. To be righteous or to have righteousness means you are in the right. So the phrase, the righteousness of God, 
simply means God in his character is right. If you have an opinion and God has an opinion, guess who's right? God. Why? He made you. He owns it all. He rules it all. So we just say, well, I'm, I'm kind of smarter than God. Hold off. We live this way all the time. The reason we stumble in sin is because, because we actually believe we're smarter than God. We believe he doesn't see. We believe he understands. And we believe we're going to get away with it. That's a rabbit trail. But God is always right in his character. Therefore, God always does what's right. Ever read the Bible and say like, man, God looks mean. You have to read the whole thing. Because if you don't read the whole thing, you'll have a distorted view of God. Let me tell you, beginning to end, read it cover to cover. God does what's right. Sometimes he does something that seems harsh now, but he does it to rescue in the end. It sounds harsh if I run in the middle of the street and grab a child by its neck and yank him out of the way. If you don't realize that a truck's coming and about to take him out, what seems unloving is actually love on display. You get me? So God is always in the right. You just have to count on that. And what I want is to be with God who is always right. So justification, same root word, different ending, because it's a little nuance, means put in the right. And I'll illustrate. Court. God's on the right side. I'm on the other side. I recognize I want to be where God is. Well, the problem is God is holy, perfect, pure, loving, everything. I am not. How can I actually come on to God's side? God's side? I need to be put in the right. And, and what he's explaining here is how God does that. Righteousness, justification, redemption, atonement. We'll cover redemption and atonement next week, and that will give us the how. Now we're just talking this week about what happens and what God has done for you. You with me? Okay, so I'm, I'm, I want to be where God is. I need to be put, declared, placed in the right. So if you get the concept, this will make sense. God never needs to be justified. He never needs to be put in the right. That's where he lives. You, me, we, if we're honest, need to be, again, he's using court language. He could use different language. He just chooses court language. We need to be, before the judge of all things, put back onto God's side. And that is exactly what Jesus does. So when I'm justified, I am declared. It's announced. You are now on the right side. All right, now with that, I want to look at a verse we looked at last week. If you watched the video, we ended with Romans 3.20. Righteousness and justification are so close, sometimes you can interchange the words. As a matter of fact, two translations do it. We'll put it on the screen. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. That's the NIV. They say declared, pronounced, righteous. ESV uses a different word. For by the works of the law, no human being will be what? Justified. They're the same thing. So God is right. I want to be with God, which means I want to be righteous. 
The way I become righteous is God declares you're in the right. Now, why are you repeating yourself? It's because justification does not mean, does not mean that I always do what's right. So, you're in a court, you're accused of something, but they say, you know what? The evidence against you is there, but we're going to be lenient. We put you in the right. You're guilty, sure, but it's your first time offense. So we're going to be gracious. You know, you're not wearing your seatbelt or you're talking on your cell phone and you have a $3,000 bill or whatever it is. It's a lot. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Driving that. Okay, so, so you do it, but they're lenient. The, the judge has the right to declare you right. Didn't mean you didn't do it. You did the action, but in the court's perspective, they're not going to give you the fine. They're not going to put you in jail. They're going to put you on the side of the right. Does that make sense so far? Okay, so, that, so that's where we're at. It doesn't mean that you're not mean to your neighbor, that you don't cheat on a test, that you don't skimp out on work. It just means in this particular case, with this particular evidence, you have been publicly announced you're on the right side. Why is this important? Some of us just struggle because we're like, I love Jesus, but I don't do what's right. It is possible for you to be justified, put on God's side, and yet still sin. Happens every single day. Well, I must not love God. I must, I must not be a Christian. No, to be justified doesn't mean you always do what God does. It doesn't mean you're God. It doesn't mean you're always in the right. It does mean, though, when it comes to the evidence stacked against you, God has now said, that is gone and you're with me. You're with me so far. All right, this is just basic stuff. But I want you to capture this because when we get to redemption atonement next week, if we don't understand this, we can miss the beauty of what God has done. So Paul has already said in, in Romans 20, no one is going to become declared righteous because of obedience to the law. You could do everything in the Bible and still not be on God's side. You could try as hard as you want and still not be on God's side. Why? Because we don't always get it right. So I got to do something with the stuff I have done. I got to do something with the stuff I haven't done. There are things God wanted me to do I didn't do. And so there's a stack against me. And what God is doing in Jesus is looking at that stack and dealing with it, not just throwing it under the rug. God is handling my sinfulness. And look at verse 21. What does verse 21 start with? But now. This is, the, this is the pivot point. Everything prior to this was about we've sinned, Jew, Gentile, young, old, rich, poor. We're all messed up, but now, but now, but now. And now we're going to look at over the next few weeks the glorious things that Jesus is doing right now in his people if we're just open to it. But now, but now what? But now we're going to see the whole story of the Bible coming to view. Okay, the beginning of the Bible is... A, a, a description of what it means to live by faith. Abraham, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve, they're created by God and they, they live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? They hear God's voice and do what he says. So, so he says, 
work the ground, and, and Adam and Eve work the ground. So God says, enjoy every tree, and they enjoy every tree. And God says, avoid one, and they avoid the one. And then in Genesis 3, what happens? They hear another voice that says another thing, and they don't live by faith. They don't trust that what God has said is right. So what do they do? They act out of their unbelief. They don't believe God's right. They believe God's holding something else, holding something against them or or withholding some good from them. And so what do Adam and Eve do? They don't just break a law. They don't trust God. They don't live by faith. So they act on that and then you see them running and hiding naked and ashamed. What does God do? God comes He says, where are you? Up until then, God walks with them in the cool of the day. Now they're hiding behind a tree. And that is a picture. It's not just an event. It's a picture of life when we're out of sync with God. We hide. God created us to thrive in him and walk with him and learn from him and grow in him. And instead we get, now, Genesis 4, 5, and 6 goes from bad to worse. What you're supposed to see when you read it is not just a series of events. What you're supposed to read when you read Genesis is how much farther and farther the voice of God is. So by the time you get to Noah, no one hears the voice of God. And God says to himself, I've got nobody. I think I need to start over. But he finds a man full of faith. Noah hears God's voice. Build a boat. What's a boat? It's a boat. What's a boat? It's a boat. Okay. Why do I need a boat? Build a boat. Okay. And so everyone's laughing at Noah because he's building a boat when there is no such thing as a flood. That's not a flood. That's just airflow. So I'm like, he's got a fireplace. He's, he's got a storm. John, we got it all. <laughs> so uh, we even got a snow machine on Christmas. Um, so Noah believes God. So then, so then they're rescued. But Noah, read the story of Noah and his kids after the flood. They don't hear the voice of God. They, they don't trust God. They don't live in alignment with God. So what does God do? He talks again. And now he finds Abram, Genesis 12. And Abram believes God. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believes God. And it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Abraham doesn't follow a list of rules. I'm going slow, but I want you to catch this. Abraham just believes God. Hears God's voice, does what God says, lives in the rhythm of God, and it's as if Abram is right with God. Is Abram always doing what's right? No. Who's that pretty lady? It's my sister. You can have her. Happens to be his wife. Then he goes to another town. Who's that pretty lady? Mind you, she's in her 80s. Hello? Who's a pretty lady? Oh, oh, that's my sister. And it's his wife. Does it mean Abram's behavior is always right? No. Being righteous doesn't mean my actions are always right. It means in God's presence, I'm trusting him. This is huge. This is Paul's absolute case example why anybody can follow Jesus, and you should. He's going to use Abraham in in Romans 4, and he's going to use Adam in Romans 5 to describe what it means to walk not by the law, but by faith. Now here's where this goes interesting. If you read the rest of the Old Testament, you're catching the difference between life in Jesus 
and life, life before Jesus and life now. Yes, anyone can know God, but in order to know God before the coming of Jesus, God worked through one family. Abram believed God has credited him his righteousness, and God promises Abram, out of your line, there's going to be blessing. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. Abraham, follow me. Here's what it meant to follow him. Every male must be circumcised. Later on comes Moses. He gives Moses the law, the Torah. Everyone must follow what is written in the book. What does it say in the book? Worship God in his holy place. So circumcision and the keeping of Torah and the temple or synagogue, that is how you live in this righteous family. For a season of human history, this is why someone say like, when I read the Old Testament and the New Testament, I don't see the same thing. So in the Old Testament, it looks like you got to follow all these rules to follow God. And then in the New Testament, it looks like, man, grace. Actually, that's not seeing the whole story. It's always been grace. It's always been faith. But for a season of life, God showed a people how to live in his rhythm. But now... In Romans 3, 21. But now means everything has changed and what was temporary has now been made wide open. I want you to catch this. To follow Jesus, you do not have to become Jewish. You do not have to follow this particular set of cultural norms in the way that you eat and the holy days that you keep. Do not hear me saying that in following Jesus, you could do whatever you want come two weeks from now, if there's no blizzard, and you're going to find that Paul says, those of us who have Jesus uphold the law, we don't break it. But the cultural way of doing life with God has been absolutely changed because of Jesus. The law and the prophets, verse 21, testify one long story of what God's been doing. What God was doing with Adam and Eve and Noah and with Abram and with Moses in one sense, didn't change. Live by faith. Hear my voice, do what I say. Live by faith, hear my voice, do what I say. Live by faith, hear my voice, do what I say. And now in Jesus, the floodgate has been opened and it doesn't matter what cultural background you have, you can hear God's voice and live by faith. That is the essence of the Christian life. How do we become part of this family that hears God's voice and lives by faith? Righteousness and justification are huge. Three things I want you to catch, and then I'm going to pause. We'll pick this up next week because redemption and atonement and God's forbearance, those archaic words, are going to show us the how. How does God do it? But for now, three things, write them down. What does it mean for us? Number one, rightness with God comes to us by faith in Jesus. Paul's been saying it from the beginning, and now he's going to get emphatic. It doesn't come through following Jewish Torah. It doesn't come through commitment to live a holy life. It doesn't come through repetitive obedience. It doesn't come through human action. It comes through faith in Jesus. Verse 22. The rightness is given through faith in Jesus to all. If you are a Jew hearing this, you are upset. Because you would say, no, it comes to all who belong to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All who follow Moses' teaching. 
And, and Paul says, I've read the Bible and I see where Jesus fits. It's to everyone, Jew, Greek, young, old. But it's not just faith in general. This is where we need to be clear. Faith does not save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. Everyone has a faith in a, I, I just love this, especially around award shows. I want to thank God. What God? They're not talking about the same God. Because I've seen their music video. And God is not for their version of God. So it's not enough to say I have faith. It's not enough I have, uh, well, I, I have faith in, and then just attach anything. I, I was christened. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I, I've been attending. I'm a leader. I, 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 I. And no, it's faith in Jesus. Jesus' rightness with God makes me right with God. How? Redemption. Don't have time this week. You'll have to come back or from the living room fireplace if we get a blizzard. Number two, rightness doesn't come through our efforts. we got to be abundantly clear here. There is no difference between Jew or devout and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is beautiful. We harp on the all fall short because that's where we are. But you read the end, fall short of the glory. Adam and Eve had glory. Glory in Hebrew means weighty. It's, you try to put words to huge concepts. So just think huge bar of gold. That's valuable. God's presence is glorious. God made you for glory. God made you to live in his glory. The challenge is trying to do life outside of God and his glory. Where God is, is where you want to be. Now, let's flip it to the positive. Those of you who are in Jesus, when you go to work, not tomorrow, because most have the day off, some of you don't. Parents, I know, we still have our kids in the house. As you endure tomorrow and work towards Tuesday, when, on Tuesday when you get to work or school or whatever, you bring glory with you, whether you believe it or not, whether you act like it or not, because you and I are connected to Christ, and Christ is the Son of God, and he and the Father are one, and where God is, glory is, and you bring it with you. Which is going to be Paul's again and again reason to tell the church, man, we shouldn't flirt with sin. Because when we were floating in it, we were living in it without the glory. But now that we're in God, who's glorious, why would you want to mess with that? That's like so substandard. That's like you've been given the prize whatever. If it's like the, the car you always dreamed of, and yeah, enjoy your little bike. Why would you go back to the bike when God's given you? Again, these are all analogies that break down, but you need to know where God is is where you want to be. And if you're in Christ, you're in God, and you have glory. And you say, Hosea, I don't act like it or I don't feel like it. I agree. 
But in, that's why he uses law court language. Whether you feel guilty or not, if the judge declares you not guilty, you are not guilty. You can still, it doesn't mean you didn't commit the crime. Justification doesn't mean you didn't sin. It means in God's sight, that sin no longer has a hold on you. In his world, you're now in the right with him, free to enjoy his glory. Number three, rightness comes to us freely by grace. This is the scandalous message of the gospel. This is why people say, that can't be true. And all are justified or put in the right or declared right freely. That means at no cost to you. By his grace, his favor, his presence through, again, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we'll get into the how next week. But I just want you to know when it comes to redemption, and it comes to grace, don't think for one moment that this didn't cost. But what we're going to see is in this law court picture, we the guilty don't pay the price. God himself pays the massive price to bring you home. So whenever you feel like, I don't know if my life's going anywhere, hold it. In God's view, you are so valuable. God, before you even showed up, already made a way for you to enjoy him and his glory because you matter that much. This is the essence of the good news. I'm trying to climb to where God is and God's saying, why? I've come to you to bring you home, but it's not on your terms, it's on mine. You can't get back, but I'm going to bring you back. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to atone for your sin through my redemption. Again, come back next week. And I'm going to bring you home. All right, so justification and righteousness. All right, weird. Cheesy but helpful illustration. So I'm in the fifth grade, maybe sixth grade. I can't exactly remember. I'm 44, so things become a blur. But... I was a student, and I lived across the street from PS44 in New York. All the schools, they don't have names, they have numbers. So I started by going to PS321, and then we moved, and I went to PS44. We were right across the street. And so we played basketball all the time. Why? We were so poor, we could afford a basketball. And so we just played and played and played. So one time, and I've told this story before, but catch the nuance. I was there, and some older kids were playing. I wanted to join the team because in my brain, I had skills. But it was just in my brain. They're playing the game. I'm on the side. I'm like, come on, I'm in. I'm in like, eh. So I'm on the side. One guy comes up in his motorcycle. And I'm like, you know, 10, 11 years old. Like, wow. Parks his bike, kickstand off on one end because it's a full court game. And, and he joins in the game. I'm like, wow, we're all looking around it. And then I'm getting closer to the bike. And he's like, hey, man, stay away, stay away from my bike. So they're playing the game. I heard you should ride my bike. That's what I heard. It's not exactly what he said. So being adventurous, hashtag, um, I, I, he's on the other side. They're playing. And so I got on the bike. It's leaning because of the kickstand. So I get my foot over, bike up. My legs are not long enough. I'm not tall enough. So I got it up. And, and uh, it, it just happened in one second, but it felt like three years. I... I, I, I try to move forward to, to get it back. 
I'm coasting for a little bit. Gravity takes over. On cement, sk- I jump off the bike. It just skids and scratches the side paint, scratches the handlebars. Everyone stops, looks over, dramatic music in the background. <laughs> I did what you would do. I ran. I ran so fast. Ran into my house, went up into my bedroom, shut the door, covers over my head. Didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. It didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Ding dong. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I hear yelling. Jose! I am bawling in the room, bawling down the stairs. My dad heard the guy's side of the story. He had every F and other bomb possible to describe how bad that I was. And my dad listened to it all. Jose, did you do that? <laughs> and my dad calmed him down. And they exchanged numbers. And my dad said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of your, your bike. And da, 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 okay, okay, okay. You know, and shut the door. End of story. I didn't have enough weeks in the year in my allowance which was under minimum allowance wage. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have enough to pay for that thing through the high school. Never heard about it again. Did I do it? Absolutely. Was I guilty? Absolutely. Was my dad in the right? Absolutely. He didn't do it. What I needed was to be made right. What I had done was an offense to the other guy and to my dad. He taught me better. If I would just listened and obeyed, I wouldn't have gotten in this mess. But my dad had the ability to justify me, to declare me we're okay. He did it by paying it himself. The analogy breaks down because God didn't pay off anybody. He didn't pay off the devil. He didn't pay off anyone else. But I want you to catch the analogy at its heart. God can set guilty people free so that now my dad and I, we can live life and do life and move on from that. And I could live for the rest of my life saying, I'm such an evil person. How could I get on the bike? Or I can choose to enjoy freedom and that my my dad set me free so that I can now do what's right and not jump in someone else's car or bike, or house. I want you to know about the love of God that is in Jesus. That was my little cheesy, true story of what happened. Let me just, let's just get to you and to me. How much would it take for God to make things right for you? When you look at your story, you're like, Jose, man, my college years, like, I'm whatever age, but when I think about all, I love God, I want to walk with God, I, but when I think about what I've done, you have been made righteous because of Jesus. You have been justified by Jesus. What we need to do is understand the depth of what God has done so that you can live in glory, which is what you were designed for. You were designed to live in the overflowing presence of God. Friend, why not now? You say, well, what would it take for me to get back to where God created me to be? Let me tell you what it would take because Paul's going to drill it out over the next few chapters. But now, Jesus. 
But now Jesus has come, and now Jesus has made the way, and now Jesus has paid the debt, redemption. And now Jesus is the atonement picture in the Old Testament of what it meant for the presence of God to meet with the presence of men. Jesus is the one who makes the wrong right. If you will believe and trust like Adam and Eve did, like Noah did, like Abram did, like Moses did. You see, God's not interested in you just following through with some rituals to appease his conscience. God has already done everything in Jesus so you can be like little Jose, guilty as ever. And you can hear the Father's voice saying, forgiven, set free, debt paid, move on in grace. And so some of us, like, we're just struggling because we follow Jesus, but we had, like, the chokehold with the chain, and we're like, I want to go on in God, but I'm, I keep, I'm, you have been declared by, by the way, by God, forgiven. Now he's saying, live in glory. Now, if you're continually going in rapid-fire destructive behavior, and just thinking like, man, who cares? Because God's got grace. You don't understand what grace is. But if you are honest in your heart to want to follow God, but like the rest of us, you slip up and you do fall and you do stumble, you need to hear righteous and justified. And you already are those in Jesus. It's not like, oh, well, I had a rough week. I need to be justified again. No, no, you're missing the point. You are justified. You are in the right with God. Now Paul will say, live that way. Because you are, you're free to follow the living God, which is why sin makes no sense. That's a better way of looking at the gospel than a get out of jail card. That hopefully if I could buy off God, he'll give me another one of those cards. So that if I mess up beyond repair, maybe God will take me back. No, you're a child of God, adopted into the Father's house and set free. That is who you already are if you're in Jesus. Now in response, what do we say? Let's receive. What, uh, what, do, I, what do I, like in light of all this, what's, what's the right response? Receive. Well, say I uh, receive. Because of his grace, you can receive all that is in Jesus. And, and, and the, the I want to, I want to, I want to, it sounds very good and American, but it's not very helpful. Receive all that God is and all that God has so that His glory changes the way you live and see the world. Receive today. If you're not yet following Jesus, here's a heads up, you can. But now, everything's in Jesus. Follow Him now, today. Receive the grace of God. And uh, did you do it? That's repentance. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm owning it. But I didn't turn to the other guy and say, can you give me a payment plan? I just turned to my dad, and my dad covered it all out of love. And so that's already happened for you in Jesus. The question is, has it happened for you in your experience? Today, receive the grace of God. Receive it. You already are a follower of Jesus, but yet you're struggling. Can I give you a tip? As someone involved in this Christian thing for a while, everyone else is too. Some are just faking it better than you are. But you don't have to fake it. You can actually live in God's grace and forgiveness and empowering presence 
that the Holy Spirit can give you God's desires as your deepest desires and you can, you can actually, over time, do what's right. You won't have to live that way unless you forget that you've been forgiven. Receive. Receive. In a moment, we're going to receive the bread and the cup, which are the perfect examples of the redemption that comes in Jesus. Receive, receive, receive. This morning, receive. Why don't you stand? And I think music can be helpful to engage and interact. But can I give you a little tip? If these words don't uh, sync you up with the heart to receive, then sing your own words or just listen and talk to God and enjoy His presence. But I think this song is fitting because it points us to the person of Jesus who changes all things. So let's sing.